And my text tonight is found once again in Luke chapter 2 and verse 10 that David read for us. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good, great, good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now, if you look at the text, you're going to see two words. And the two words are great joy. And this morning I preached a sermon that I entitled Good Tidings for All at Christmas time. And I want to add another dimension to that message, and it's this great joy for all at Christmas time. Now, there's four things I want to say tonight about great joy at Christmas time. I want you to think of the subject of great joy. You see, one of the highlights of many people at Christmas time, as they watch the television, is to watch the Christmas adverts from some of the leading stores, Marks and Spencers, for example, Tesco's, Lidl, Cadbury's. Now, one of my favorites this year has been from Boots, the chemist. And they have portrayed an advert of a lady in a bus, a person beside her, I presume another lady, is getting off at her stop, but she's left her glasses case, probably something like I would do. And the lady beside her has tried to get her attention, but to no avail. So she opens up the glasses case and discovers a pair of nice new glasses. And then she puts them on. And as she does so, she sees things from a new prospectus. A, a, a dry brown tree all of a sudden lights up with colored lights. As she looks around at the people in the bus and everybody's drab and dreary and all of a sudden everybody seems in a happy and in a party mood. She looks at a friend at work working at the desk and all of a sudden that friend is pictured through the glasses of being in a, in a bubble bath, enjoying herself. Uh, she looks at another friend and that individual is now dressed up for a night out. And she looks at a friend on a sofa and he's got a dog beside him. And all of a sudden the whole wall is plastered with photos of the dog. And at the end of the advert, you'll see in the screen these words, Joy for all from Boots at Christmas time. Isn't that interesting? Joy for all at Christmas time. That's where I got the idea for this message tonight. And of course, for those who have watched the Tesco ad, Tesco's major on a joy shortage in Britain. And sadly, they try to address the joy shortage in Britain. They try to address that problem with a vague socialist agenda. Now, everyone wants to be happy. Everybody here wants to live a life of joy and gladness. In the late 4th century, Augustine, who was the Bishop of Hippo in North Africa, he observed, he said this, I'm not alone in this quest and desire for true happiness and joy. Many along with me, without exception, long for true joy and happiness. Like me, they search for it. And they search for it in different places. And they're all trying their hardest to reach the same goal of attaining great joy. 
is great joy possible? Tonight, let me try and explain all human behavior is on a search or a quest for real joy or great happiness or satisfaction. Yet many are seeking for it in the wrong place. The reality is there is a joy shortage in Britain. There is a joy shortage in the hearts and lives of many tonight. And maybe that describes you. You saw the Boots advert, joy for all, and you're thinking, humbug, because it doesn't apply to you. You see, today, people get married. They pursue a certain career and they hope to find real joy in it, and they don't. And then people get divorced, and and they change their job, um, hoping to find real joy in it, and they don't. Uh, People commit to a hedonistic lifestyle or an immoral lifestyle because they think it will bring real joy and inner satisfaction. And and sing, sin, sinning and does bring a certain amount of joy and happiness, but it's it's a worldly sort of joy and happiness. It's not real. It doesn't last. People steal and commit fraud because they think that having material possessions will will fill the void of a joyless life. It brings them true contentment, bring them real joy, but it doesn't. Do you know that people even commit murder? Murder their friends, murder their enemies, because they think they'll be happier. And sadly, even some people contemplating committing suicide. And because they believe and they hope that the death will bring them relief from their set of circumstances and their problems. And it doesn't. Listen to me carefully. One of the biggest lies of the devil tonight, a most successful lie, is that this, that God, the living and the true God, the God of the Bible, is is a sort of a cosmic killjoy. And he wants everybody to be miserable. And he doesn't want anybody to be happy. That's a lie. People tonight, their mind is full of questions. Is there a God? Maybe you're here and that's what you're saying. Is there a God? Maybe you have family members and they're asking, is there a God? Is there life after death? Does heaven really exist? Does hell really exist? See, here's another question that people have in their mind. Why does God allow so much suffering in the evil world? Some people ask, well, 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 how can I know God? And we'll add to that, how could you know great joy in your life? If there's such a thing as joy for all, and it's mentioned in the Bible, how can you know that joy? And here's the answer tonight. Here's the heart of the subject. The answer is discovering who Jesus Christ is. Knowing him as Lord and Savior is the answer to all of these questions. Because Jesus Christ came into the world to reveal God. And here's how you can know God as the living and the true God. You can only know him in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that God the Father is indeed a wonderful person. In and of himself, he possesses the attribute of sinless, pure, fullness of joy. And everyone who comes to know him through the Lord Jesus Christ enters into that life of great joy and inner happiness. You see, let's listen to the word of God tonight. We've listened to the word of God, readings from the um, young people about the birth of Christ. Listen to the scriptures over there in Psalm 16, verse 11. We uh, read uh, these words, Psalm 16, verse 11. Thou will show me the path of life. And in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, they are pleasures forevermore. 
And in John chapter 15 and in verse 11, we read, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Chapter 17, verse 13, he prays, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Galatians 5 and 22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. In Acts 2, 28, the apostle Peter in a sermon preached, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt show me full of, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. You see, these are all scriptures that speak of joy. Let, let me just give you one other in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. And it says this. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. That you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And those that framed the shorter catechism were correct. They said this, that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And you can enjoy God. You can know him. You can seek this great joy. You can experience this true happiness because it's only found in Jesus Christ. That's the subject of great joy. The second thing I want you to think about is the source of this great joy. We've already read there from Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 and verse 28. And he said this, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. You see, the source of great joy is found in God himself. God himself is the true source of all joy and happiness. And if you were to realize that, if you're to seek for true joy in the Lord, you will find the true source of eternal satisfaction and happiness. Let me tell you a little story. A family during the Great Depression in one of the outback towns in America, they couldn't afford much. They just enjoyed life and the bare necessities of life. A circus came to town. One of their boys, he, he wanted to buy a ticket to go to see the circus. The ticket cost one dollar, which is probably, what, about 75 pence in our money. He went to his dad and said, Dad, give me a dollar. I want to go to the circus. And, of course, the dad said, no, son, I haven't got a dollar. What do you want a dollar for? I want to go to buy a ticket to the circus. The dad said to him, son, if you go and work for some of the neighbors, they might give you five cents. They might give you 10 cents. They might give you 20 cents. See, people were having it rough in the Great Depression in the 30s. There wasn't much money. So the wee fellow worked for days in the end, helping people to do different jobs, and he got enough for the ticket. And he bought the ticket. The circus came to town. He was all excited. He grabbed his ticket. He run to the main street, and he saw the circus. And as it passed by, he was thrilled to see the elephants, the lions, the bears, the tigers, the performers, the, the fire eaters. Near, oh, his eyes were near jumping out of his head. Then a big clown came over and smiled at him and tipped his hat. And, of course, the wee fella thought he was looking for the ticket. And he put the ticket inside the clown's hat, and the clown went on his way. He rushed home and told his dad. His dad was surprised. You've seen the circus, son. I don't even think the circus is set up yet. They've just had their parade into the town. So, so he asked, 
by the dad to describe what he saw. And the wee fella described the parade and the main street and the animals, the performers, the clowns, and what happened to the ticket. And this is what he said. True story. Son, you've not really seen the circus. All you've saw is the parade into the town. And you see, there's a difference, isn't there? You think of that lady in the bus putting on the glasses and seeing things from a different perspective. And if you are to see the true source of this joy, you need to put on the glasses of truth. You see, at Christmas time, how many people get caught up with the tree, the lights, the food, the gifts, the family? And they think, but that's what Christmas time is all about. But it's not. Now, all of these things are there. They're on the periphery. They're like the parade into the town, but but it's not the real circus. And what they're doing is experiencing what is on the periphery. But they're missing the main thing. And how many go through Christmas after Christmas without the true joy of knowing Christ as Savior, without knowing him as the anointed prophet, priest, and king, without knowing him as the Lord of glory, God in the flesh. You think tonight of the real joy of knowing Christ. The angel pronounced, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. You see, there's great joy associated with this good news. And this good news with great joy is for all people. The great joy of the Christmas time only comes through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, Savior, the Anointed One, and Christ the Lord. Christmas is a wonderful time. Wonderful time of family and friends and gifts and good food, but it's more. Young people, listen to me carefully. Families, listen to me. It has a deeper meaning. There's a real, true joy Not only that lasts for now at this season, but lasts all the year round. A true inner joy. And it comes from knowing Christ as Lord and Savior. And this joy has been announced. It's connected to the birth of Christ. His his coming into the world. His incarnation. His his virgin birth. It's not only good tidings, but it's good tidings of great joy. Not just joy, but great joy. Here's the adjective. This morning we preached on the message of comfort. We told you it was a most comprehensive message for all classes in society. From the unloved and unwanted shepherds upwards. We, we said it was, a, 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 was, a, was a, a Christ-centered message. But it's a message that is accessible for all. Because it's connected to great joy. You see there's no such thing as a joyless Christian. It's unknown and foreign to the New Testament teaching. There's no such thing as joyless Christianity. You know the word joy is used 187 times in the Bible. Let's do a contrast with the first century church. It was bubbling and bursting with great joy. People knew God. They knew Christ as Lord and Savior. They were delighted and thrilled to be long to Christ, to profess that they knew him. You think of the 21st century. Is there not a lot of belly aching without true joy and inner happiness and contentment? I was thinking about a comedian, and a comedian can make you laugh. But laughter is not 
true joy. Billy Sunday, the American evangelist, talked about the Christians in America in his day. And he lamblasted them because he said, you're going about as if your heavenly father has died. And has not left you one penny in his will. Paul knew this great joy. Peter said, thou hast made me to know. Made me to know this great joy. It was in the plan and purpose of God. You can't know this joy apart from Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the source. I want you to think of the seeking of this great joy. If you turn over there to Romans chapter 15 and look with me at verse 13. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. Here's one of the references that mentions joy in the Bible. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now this is a prayer of Paul's. Paul was praying for the believers in the church of Rome that God would fill them, the God of hope, that he would fill them with what? All joy and peace in believing. And the word believing means faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That they might abound in hope through the Holy Ghost. Notice the words here. Joy, peace, and hope. Is there not a shortage of joy in Britain? A shortage of peace? A shortage of hope in a biblical sense. And Paul, he's praying for those who are in Christ and he wants them to attain to the highest possible plane in the Christian life. It's a wonderful prayer. It's a great prayer about joy and peace and hope. You don't need to question this. You don't need to doubt, is it possible to know and experience fullness of joy? You might think, but it's not within the realm of possibility for me well it is if Paul prayed for it for the believers at Rome then surely you and I can experience such a a thing as well you see we're often satisfied with a bit of joy aren't we a wee bit of peace a wee bit of hope but most Christians never dream of being filled with a holy joy they imagine but but I couldn't experience that. that that's okay for someone else but, but not for me. So we're content with a bit. You see, we imagine my life is hard and difficult. And it is. Was life not hard for these shepherds? I told you this morning they were an occupation that was the lowest of the low. An abomination to the Egyptians. They were unloved. They were unwanted. They were in a despised profession. Listen to these words from Peter See, Peter believed in great joy. He said in 1 Peter chapter 1 and in the verse 8, Whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice, high, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And those words were written in the context of Christians being tried and tested by the fire of persecution and opposition. And maybe you're going through a severe trial right now. And yet, in the midst of that trial, you can experience this indescribable joy, this fullness of joy. What are the times when you don't feel like rejoicing? When you don't feel great joy in your heart and mind and you feel you have no reason to rejoice. Is there people in the Bible who experience that? Yes, Elijah. Remember in a day of apostasy when Jezebel and Ahab were on the throne? 
Ahab felt he was the only one left. He ran away when Jezebel threatened his life and he prayed to God under the tree, let me die. He was in a state of depression. He was in a state of despair. He was fearful of the authorities of his day. Yet the Lord had to teach him, Elijah, I've got 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. What about Jacob? Whenever the boys come home and showed the coat to their dad and put it into his hands. Remember that blood-stained coat of many colors that was torn in pieces? Jacob was broken. He went into a state of deep mourning and grief. He didn't feel like rejoicing. And maybe you're the same because of a loved one has been taken from the scene of time. And you're in a state of deep mourning. It was not true of Martha and Mary when their brother died. They sent for Jesus. How long did he take to come? He he took four days. He he delayed. And they were upset and annoyed and angry at him. And maybe you're upset and annoyed and angry because of some set of circumstances or situation that the Lord in grace and sovereign mercy has brought into your life. And you can't understand what God is doing. And you don't feel like rejoicing. You, 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 You feel maybe a bit upset at God. And you're questioning. And you want answers and you haven't got answers. You're in that state of distress. When you're facing this storm and you feel you have nothing to rejoice in, I want to tell you tonight, you can have real true joy, even in a real life situation like that. The Bible says the joy of the Lord, Nehemiah 8 and 20, is your strength. The joy of the Lord is a wonderful attribute. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And yet the joy of the Lord is absent for so many. Is there not a lot of unhappiness in the world? Is there not a lot of unhappiness in the professing church? Is there not a lot of unhappiness in the world at Christmas time? There is. I I believe it's the most wonderful time of the year. But I want to tell you, for many, they face hardship. People are worried about not enough food to eat. People are struggling with mental health issues. People are facing domestic violence, facing other things like economic hardship, worried about energy, rising costs, etc. You think of the drink culture, the drug culture. You see, the world doesn't produce this joy. The world knows nothing of true, lasting happiness. And we oftentimes can be overwhelmed by our sin and overwhelmed by our circumstances. And we think that, that this concept, this true real joy in a real life situation is is beyond us and outside of us but you can seek for this you can ask for this Paul did you can ask it for yourself you could ask it for your brothers and sisters in the house of God not only the subject of great joy not only the source of great joy and seeking of great joy but one final thing the secret of this great joy you see this great joy is connected to and exemplified in the Lord Jesus Christ. David read for us in Luke chapter 2, and I'll just refer you back to the verse again, what the angel said unto the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, you bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For, the word for can be translated because, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This great joy is exemplified in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the great example of great joy and gladness in his heart and life. Isn't that ironic? Was he not also called the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? 
What's the shortest verse in the English Bible, young people? It's John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. But that's not the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament. Do you know the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament? It's one word. Thessalonians 5 and 16. Rejoice forevermore. Three words in the English, but one word in the Greek. These verses are not contradictory. You see, true biblical joy doesn't deny sorrow, doesn't deny hardship, doesn't deny grief, doesn't deny trials. Does the Bible not tell us of Christ who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? Was the cross a horrible experience? Yes. Was it a joyful experience? No. Did the Lord Jesus not know what lay ahead of him as he, as he went to the cross? Absolutely. But the Bible doesn't attempt to paint or gloss over deep sorrow or pain or heartache or trouble. Here's a picture of biblical joy. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Acts, or Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we read, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And if you want a picture of biblical joy, it's exemplified, it's revealed, it's connected to the Lord Jesus Christ in his life. He displayed great sorrow. He bore our sins in a tree. And yet... There was times of joy and gladness filling his heart. We've already read some scriptures there. John chapter 15 and verse 11 where the Savior said, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. See the contrast? John 17 and verse 13 he said this, And now come I to thee and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves great joy is not only connected to and exemplified in the lord jesus christ but is fulfilled in jesus christ you see the christmas story boys and girls and young people is not a fabricated story it's a true story and it's confirmed in the bible think of the scriptures he fulfilled all that happened to christ was all planned and prophesied by god we know that the bible teaches for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How and when did he give his son? You've got to think of the Virgin Mary. You've got to think of the um, incarnation. You've got to think of the virgin birth. You've got to think of Christ as the seed of the woman. Gabby read to us there, Isaiah 7 and 14, how that Christ was born of the virgin. Uh, how that Christ was born in Bethlehem, Micah 5 and 2. And I could talk about promise after promise, prophecy after prophecy, and it all points to the coming of Christ. And as you know and learn and meditate in these scriptures, you begin to know and experience that Christ fulfilled these scriptures. And great joy is therefore fulfilled not only in the scriptures but in the Savior. Because as you know the scriptures then you begin to experience this joy. You think of Mary and Joseph. They were in Nazareth. She was heavy with child. She was soon to give birth. Would she make an 80 mile journey in that condition? Probably not. Impossible. And yet God had a set time. God had a plan. Caesar Augustus made a decree. All the world should be taxed. Because Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. They made the journey. You see, God kept his promise through Micah 500 years before. And God will keep his promise to you. And maybe you're struggling tonight. 
And you're wondering, how am I going to get through Christmas? How am I going to face the new year? Will you get a hold of one of those promises? In Christ they're yea and in Christ they're amen. And as you trust in the promise, you stand in that. Because God will be true to his word. Because great joy is fulfilled in Christ. One final thing, great joy is attained in Jesus Christ. You see, he comes as a saviour to save. He can deliver you from the penalty and the power and the pleasure and one day from the presence of sin. He can give you eternal life now. If you go back to Romans, Romans uh, 15 and 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Notice the words, in believing. That, that, that word believing means putting your trust in Christ, adhering to him, relying fully on him. Let me ask tonight this, do you know him? Have you received him? Understood this unique purpose that he came into the world to be a saviour? Understood his unique person? That he's truly man and truly God in one person forever? Have you understood his unique preeminence? That he's, he's God in the flesh? God in human form? Let me tell you this little story as we finish. Another true story. I want you to think of a family... The dad worked in a foundry. Young people, that's a steelworks. And every year he brought home presents for his wife and children. Brand new Christmas tree that they were always excited about to decorate. Well, as the years passed, sadly, the man's wife was sick and confined to bed. Serious terminal illness. And he had three children, two boys and a little girl. And one year when he came home and it was near Christmas time, he didn't bring anything with him. He had no presents. He had no Christmas tree. He had no good things for them to eat. And the wee children, well, they were wondering, what on earth is going on? You put, you know, uh, 10 and 11 years of age onto the children and you begin to think of, of what they were thinking. They discovered daddy has been paid off. He has no work. Well, this is what the daddy did. He went into the garage and he got a piece of timber, a bit of four by two, it was five foot long and he bored holes in it and he went down to the neighbor he spoke to the neighbor the neighbor had a big hedge full of lovely um, evergreen trees and he asked the neighbor for a few branches from the tree so that he could make a tree to put in the garden for the children the little girl she was about 11 or 12 she was called Sarah and she was watching out the window and she was looking at daddy's tree. Daddy's made a good effort. The boys are really delighted. They don't really care, but daddy has brought them a Christmas tree and they're happy and glad. But she's looking at this tree and thinking, well, it's not the real thing, dad. And she prays and she asks God for some presence. She asks God for someone to bring her a Christmas tree and some food for her and the family to eat over Christmas time. Short time later, there was a knock at the door. It was the woman who lived in the house with the hedgerow of evergreen trees. That woman and her son had cut one down, the tallest and the best. She brought it to the door. She brought a number of presents with her. She brought some good food. That wee girl was called Sarah. And every year when she went past that neighbor's house, she saw a gap in the hedge. One evergreen tree was missing. 
And she never forgot the act of kindness. And she never forgot that God had answered prayer. Now suppose this as we finish. Suppose that whenever Sarah and the dad and the boys had opened the door and there's the woman standing with the tree and the presents and the food. Suppose they had said, no thanks. We, we, we don't take charity. Uh, we, we appreciate your effort, but, but no, we, we're, we're going to do without. Could you imagine how that woman would have felt? If that had been you, how would you have felt? You'd have been cut to the quick. You'd have been annoyed and upset. I've cut my tree down for nothing. Now think about God. God has given the greatest gift of all. The gift of Jesus Christ, his son, a saviour, who is anointed prophet, priest, and king, who is God in the flesh, and he presents it to fallen, sinful humanity. And if fallen, sinful humanity wants real joy and inner satisfaction, then they've got to come and receive that gift. And how many have refused? How many have rejected? Have you refused? Another Christmas time, have you rejected? Because this great joy, while it's connected to and exemplified and fulfilled in Christ, it's only attainable through him. And that's the secret of great joy. It's a wonderful subject, great joy for all. But I want to tell you, the source is found in God through Christ. And you've got to seek for it if you want it. And you can find it, but you'll only find it in Christ. It's joy in believing. But the secret is trust. Receiving this wonderful gift of Christ. May the Lord bless you this Christmas time. And Christmas Day, we're going to think about peace for all at Christmas time. I'll be a lot shorter.